Welcome everybody to episode number two of a Monday mailbag West Seattle NASCast. I am joined by my illustrious co-host, the marvelous minister Laura <laughs> Chesselson. Good morning. Good morning, Laura. And the good Reverend Terry Matson. And I have discovered a new reason why your mailbag, Monday mailbag, is not a good idea. Why? Because it's Monday morning. It's my, but it rhymes. <laughs> We could do. But you've got your coffee. We could True. do Monday mailbag on a Tuesday. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we might have to talk about that. I'm not sure Kristen loved uh, uh, me interrupting her sleeping in on Mondays <laughs> this morning. Uh, well, this is okay. So that's a larger question. We won't ask that today. But uh, question number one again is brought to you by Sean. Uh, <laughs> is it mailbag Monday or Monday mailbag? Monday mailbag. Monday mailbag. I Monday think. mailbag. I was gonna say mailbag Monday. <laughs> we'll have to put it a vote out there. On let's let the twenty people who are listening decide for us. Oh yeah, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you get a vote. What are we? We're like a minute and a half in. Um, if you've made it a minute and a half, would you tweet us? Did you guys get your twitters yet? Oh, no, oops. I'm sorry. I have one. It's just so ancient. I got to figure out how to. Use I have it. a Twitter. I do too. I don't know what it is. It. And I, I haven't tweeted. I need somebody, help somebody to show me how to, how to tweet. I, the last time I tried to navigate Twitter, it was, it was not happy. Okay, well, that's, we need, that's two responses. Uh, number one, we need to know, do you like men, Monday Mailbag or Mailbag Monday? And number two, if you are a Twitter aficionado, we could use some training. And is Twitter still a thing? or is, I mean, has Instagram just taken over the world? Instagram's kind of taken over. I think Twitter's still a thing. I think but Facebook's the one that's... Twitter's still a thing. I think it's still a there's, thing. Well, yeah. There's still a lot of tweeting happening. Uh, also, before we get started, we need your questions. Continue to send your questions in. Probably the best place to send your questions is to uh, text them to one of us, or you can email them to one of us. Our emails are on our website, or you could just post it on the church's Facebook page or Instagram account. Uh, but send us your questions, and we will insert them into the Monday Mailbag or the Mailbag Monday, whichever it is, even if it's on a Tuesday in the future. Question number one. This is a fun question to get us rolling. What books, as if you guys have tons of time in your life right now to read, this summer, uh, which, by the way, we're almost mid-July, so before you know it, it's going to be September and fall has started. What books are you reading this summer? The two that I'm now picking up to focus on is one called uh, New Guide to Rational Living, and that's by Albert Ellis, a theoretician on the basic idea, and it's cool, the basic idea is that it's not event A that creates the emotions response C, but it's what I tell myself at B. It's, it's, it's what I think about event A that creates my emotional response. And I'm rereading that for my own sake and for one of our parishioners' sake. It's a good book. The second one is the, the uh, cross one that you are pushing that I have now got into my reading cycle. And uh, Amanda Carr, a good friend, uh, recommended highly last night on pastors thinking. Well, the que- okay, question. It's the cross in this. The cross in the lynching tree. That is yeah. on my list as well. Um, although I'm a slow reader, I really wish there's a couple of books I'm reading, and because I'm a slow reader, it's it's tough because it's not an audible, and audible is really helpful for me because I can cruise through. I should do uh, that. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I just one of the books I just finished 
was the John Bolton book. It was, oh. I th- it was somewhere, it was either 17 hours or 20 hours, and I finished it in 10 days. Very cool. Oh, wow. I put that puppy on 1.3 speed, and uh, yeah, it was good. So, so I, Audible I love, and uh, The Cross and the Lynching Tree is not on Audible. The, another book I'm going to recommend is not on Audible, and so I, yeah, I, just all books should be on Audible. But okay, question before I, we move on from your books. Event, say it again, event A, what? The event A, whatever it is, you slap me in the face, does not create my angry response. It's what I tell myself. It's how I interpret the slap in the face that creates the emotional response. So you're saying B is the big step. B is the important thing. Now, is that, is, I mean, at some level, what level do we have control over B? Isn't B formed by so much that is out of our control that at some level that statement feels a bit of semantics that that yes it's b but of course b is already presupposed so really it's c well and and that was the very very excellent because that's the pushback against albert ellis from the psychological uh, from psychologists across the, the world although one has to admit that he has gained uh Renown and gain wider acceptance than when he initiated. People does uh, he have a, twi- a Twitter? Oh, well, he's dead. Oh. The people have um, <laughs> so no. people so no. have <laughs> people have uh, uh, initially tried to say he was just part of the self help kind of thing, but he successfully created a whole movement and of psychotherapists that have picked up. So the so you're right. That's a valid. You know what forms us obviously what forms our thinking then becomes part of the issue. His argument and pushback is that as rational beings, we have the ability to reprogram the way we respond, and and that is what he would he would not call this because he was an atheist but 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 theology or worldview he talks a lot about awfulizing things and that goes into formational things about awfulizing things awfulizing yeah he says for example uh it is i should feel sad if i lose my job i should feel fear if i lose my job i should not however conclude that the world has gone to hell in a handbasket or that i'm incapable of responding awfulizing is to go to the worst case scenario and live there emotionally that's an amazing word i've yeah. never heard awfulizing <laughs> well uh, it's a good word it's a useful word it is i'm gonna start using it i'm gonna go home i'm gonna get tanner and parker start Are using you it of course parker doesn't talk so we'll see um, that oh, okay that raises more questions and we're just still talking about what books we're reading this summer um if he's saying what is it so is his assumption that you have to retrain yourself to th- what about what you think about yourself you have to determine in your own mind how much emotional energy you want to put in each issue and whether it deserves it. So how would he say you go about determining? That's why it calls a rational guide. He thinks that human beings have the capacity to reason, can identify for themselves what is helpful and what is not helpful. And that's the criterion. What makes you happy, not in the sense of, I'm happy, but in the sense Lake of... Lake Tahoe. Functional, yeah. So, so, okay, does, how, does he talk about habits? Because I would think yes. my, my best assumption is that, that in terms of teaching us to think, the thing that teaches us to think are the habits, the, the things we give ourselves to which form. So is that where yes. he goes? Or? Yes, oh. he's very much into that. Interesting. So you're reading that book, which is what? A, a New Guide to Rational Living. And The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Do you have anything fun you're reading? or? 
Hmm? No, I don't. I picked up something fun recently, but I didn't let myself get into it far enough. It was a top classy one, and I got to re redo that. And then the other person that helps me have fun is N.T. Wright. If I'm reading one of his, it helps. Mm, start the Paul book. I'm yeah. starting it on Audible. That's what I. That's what I was going to next. N.T. Wright on yeah, Paul. Yeah, on Paul. You should get it. It's. Ooh. I think for Acts, it's going to be really helpful. Oh yeah. I'm just in the introduction, and it's thick. Oh, Are you reading goodness. anything, Marvelous I, Minister? I am. I started The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Um, I'm about oh, is it? two chapters into that. I mean, it's it, it's an eye-opener. He talks um, in the beginning about the actual practice of lynching and how prevalent it was. And it, for me, it's, it's a... It's a... Um, kind of a, a little bit of a wake up in terms of the details and the, the actuality of what, you know, some of our brothers and sisters went through, how back in the, I mean, he kind of lays out how, um, after, uh, after the abolition and that whole ha thing and, and, uh, slaves were free. It just kind of went underground and, uh, the slavery just kind of took a different form in terms of um, in terms of black people not really being free or comfortable to to move around and just kind of you know go about business or start business or whatever that just practice economy even y yes yeah. that you could be snagged and lynched just for being black in those early days. I mean, that... Uh, I've heard of a lot of theologians that's a, that's just, talk about this book as one of the uh, pivotal books on the issue of, of race and the church and, and, and people I respect. So I'm, I'm just in the introduction again, but looking forward to diving in. The other one that I'm... Um, reading and again I'm only a couple chapters in so I can't tell you a whole lot about it but it's called Holy Noticing it's written by a pastor and um, it's just about mindfulness and um, how God created our brains that, that when we can retrain remind me a little I mean it ties in a little bit with what you're talking about we can purpose to um, you know form ourselves to a new kind of decision-making and we can have um, uh, some direction we can direct our minds to to make those kind of decisions but um, yeah he says I'm just that, trying to put the image of you and mindfulness together in the same. <laughs> at this moment especially especially on a Monday yeah especially on a Monday morning only halfway through my coffee um, but he but he says that um, it can actually increase our neuroplasticity that that practicing mindfulness actually physiologically can train your brain to connect more um mo better to your mo, environment mo better mo better to your environment and and to what's going on around you so it's the practice of it that kind of literally physically retrains your brain so are you reading anything for fun um no, and that's been on my mind. If you guys have any recommendations, because usually every summer I read a novel of some kind. Pick usually... up George MacDonald. What? Pick up George MacDonald from the oh, 1800s. I've, I've read some George MacDonald. Have you read The Man Called Ove? 
No. Oh, you should read. The Man Called the, What? Ove. It's Ovi? just a, a, a fun book is the wrong. It's a, just a, it's a book that has all the feelings. It's not, it's not meant, you're not meant to like learn anything. It's just a, it's a good, st- my mom loved it. You should read it. I think I have it somewhere. The, the Man, man called, called What? Ove. Ove. O-V-E. O-V-E. It's, Mark loved it. Mark Woodward. Um, I think, yeah, that's my recommendation. I'm reading, so I just finished the Bolton book. Uh, I'm reading, of course, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. I'm reading The Pastor by Eugene Peterson. I saw that yesterday. Uh, I'm, I think, in chapter six of that. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a therapeutic kind of book that uh, it, when you, uh, it's the kind of book when you get discouraged in pastoral ministry it helps. It, I'm finding it helps to recenter you, um, and and in a narrative way, it dances in and out of narrative. So it's I, I'm I'm loving that Eugene Peterson, and then I am. Reading, How much does it correlate to the to the uh, service yesterday where Mark talked about the individual who came to his coffee shop and and the transformational moment when he asked him if he wanted to become a barista? How much does that play into that book? Yeah, there's, a, there's, he's, he's playing. I mean, he's where I'm at. He's very early on, still in his childhood. Um, memories okay. of his mom, the way his mom shaped uh, ministry and 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 place. So the ways, and specifically, he talked about Montana, um, Kalispell. Actually, I, I, he grew up in Kalispell, if I remember correctly. Oh, um, there's some ties to Seattle and New York, but but it's. I mean, it's it's he's dancing in that kind of conversation. Um, and then I'm reading uh, this book, and again, I'm very early on in this because it's not audible. Uh, it's called The Patient Firmament of the Early Church. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think it's the kind of book that's going to open a lot of doors for the way I think about what it means to be church, what it means, what evangelism. It talks that- about the early church didn't have an evangelism strategy. Um, if if you had to pigeonhole them to having an evangelism strategy, their evangelism strategy was we're going to live mm-hmm. as a community of the kingdom of God. Um, so I uh, I ordered it for us as a staff. <laughs> so you did. It's coming, and it's going to be the book we are going to read together over the next two months, and we're going to plan our pastor's retreat. Uh, is this your fun point. reading for the summer? No. Is this your fun reading? My fun reading. Okay, so this is, um, that's the thing. Sarah Moore recommended a book. It's like one of those popular books. And I, I'm i like six hours in and it hasn't hooked me yet. What is it? Big Little Lies. It's like super popular, but it hasn't hooked me. Oh. Um, so I'm thinking about giving up on it. Uh, then uh, This is, I think it's heavy, but it is narrative. Have you ever read Tolstoy, the brothers, or brother? I forget what it's called. I've not read it. It's really thick, but I've thought about that. Um, and then I've just thought about the man called Ove author has a couple more books. I've thought about just going with a couple of those because they'd be super light and, and just fun. That one sounds um, good to me. I'm going to look at it's, it, anyway. it was a It was my summer book two years ago. I recommend it. Yeah. All right, that's fun. We had fun. Uh, that's segment number one. Let's, oh, the other thing I'm oh, doing yes. for fun reading is the Nazarene Church Manual. The, <laughs> the Nazarene Church Manual. So enlightening. <laughs> because you're in a Nazarene history, history and, and polity, polity class Woo-hoo. this summer. Because, because I think about when... The sun is out the longest and the weather is the nicest. The thing I, I want to do, do in the summer is study Nazarene mm-hmm. history, polity, and man. Or you could look at it this way. I get to Monday nights, hang out with, you know, six or eight 
uh, really fun people. It's a cool class. Nice. Well, that's uh, that's episode. That's not episode number one. That's segment number one. Let's take a break, and we'll come back with segment number two. Welcome back to our next segment. We just got done with a holiday weekend, the 4th of July. How was your guys' 4th of July? It was, it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> did you guys do anything fun? We had ribs. That was really good. Aww. So good. I, I worked dog. here uh, upstairs at your apartment getting stuff ready. Yeah, on the actual time. 4th I worked. So I, now I, uh, This is not tied to where we're potentially going to go. But uh, I actually am one that thinks the 4th of July is the most overrated holiday of the year. Oh, my goodness. I'm guessing Blasphemy. you all don't share that. I do not share that. I think Christmas is where it's at. Well, well I wouldn't yeah. pair it up to Christmas. They're different. You're They're, yeah. I'm just talking picture. about diversity the celebration. Here. Diversity. Unity and diversity. Of the day. Of probably because there's no presents. We were camping. <laughs> we were camping correct. over the 4th, so we hiked up a big trail and uh, to a high mountain lake in the Cascades. Fun. I'm going to buy you a and gift for the 4th. Yeah, start giving me now. a present on the 4th of now. July, and I'll, I'll, I'll start to love it. <laughs> uh, the 4th of July, the question comes to us. How should a Christian think about the 4th of July. What are the pros or the cons of uh, this holiday uh, that we begin to stop and reflect on the independence of the place in which we inhabit? I got all kinds of things swirling around. How should a Christian? Is it, was that your, say your question again. Should is part of it. How should a Christian think about the 4th of July? Um, in what ways... Is it appropriate and healthy that we lean into uh, the celebration of this um, holiday and the place we inhabit? And in what ways uh, is it a potential danger uh, that what everything maybe this holiday represents and, and, and leaning in too far um, creates think, places of idolatry for us? Yeah, and oh. to underline that, we are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Are we also citizens of the United States of America? I think that's another way of framing the question. And how much allegiance do we give each? Should our allegiance totally be in one basket and not in the other? I don't know. Can you quantify it? Like when you say how much, Mm -hmm. can you parse it out and quantify it? And I think like so many things in our faith walk that um, we have to live with love and sensitivity and in community and um, live in um, congruency with what's happening, you know, with our, with our community so that we're not offending or, or moving in a wrong direction. But wow, God gave us the ability to celebrate and we have a lot to celebrate. The love of country, love of a husband for a wife or a wife for a husband love of your church, love of Jesus, love of your kids, are different kinds of loves. Of all of those, I don't know how one can fall in love with their spouse, be devoted to their spouse, and that become, I can see how it could become an idolatry to God, but, but in the highest sense, it usually lends itself to loving God more um, and to loving who God is and what God's about. Love of country is the one kind of thing of which I believe we should have and do have that 
that almost stands up and against the kingdom of Jesus. It, it, it's, right, it, it's, a, it's a love that is pure and can so quickly become impure. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of those. I think that's the danger. I think I can see that too. So, so the, maybe part of this question comes out of um, a tweet that was, I saw this week, uh, and this is from Brian Zahn. Uh, he, his tweet was, uh, American culture is no more conducive to Christian faith than Babylonian culture was conducive to Jewish faith. Faithfulness to God requires us to live as exiles. Thoughts? Oh, wow. That, that's the central issue. And so, th- so then the question is, if that's true... I, I think the question really comes from a place of, if that's true, um, it sure feels like patriotism, and especially a patriotism uh, that feels like it has wrapped inside of it all sorts of American exceptionalism that creates us over them, uh, feels like it gets into all sorts of places that, become more American than more Christ, than Christian. And uh, mm-hmm. when tied to our history of, of how we treated the Native Americans, our, our history of, of racism, our history of our uh, military-industrial complex, um, it, our, even, yeah, we'll stop there. It just feels like our love of country and the ways in which that attaches itself to our hearts um, can create some dissonance with our call to be aligned to the kingdom of God. And so the 4th of July then each year is this place where we're to be reminded of our independence, but but that reminder can so get attached to the things we love and, and at root then are we reminding ourselves to love things that aren't in congruence with the kingdom of God. That's the tension. I think that can happen. What well, does I, 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 I don't live there. So I, I'm having... My, 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 because the question comes out of, I think that, for me, it feels like that is the single greatest idol in the church today. Is, um, is patriotism? Is patriotism. Before we, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Before we go there, talk about what it does feel to you, because I think that's one aspect that's very healthy. And I, tell us, tell us what it is. Independent celebration, or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, either one. Um, it's a, we just it's, in our family, it's just really simple. In my growing up years, it was kept pretty simple um, as a day of gratitude, mm-hmm. as a day of recognizing um, the gifts we've been given you know, the freedoms, um, and often the responsibilities that come with it and the responsibilities that that's, that was part of the conversation and is part of the conversation. Um, it's a time, uh, to kind of break away from the normal routine. Theoretically this year we actually got to, uh, and just kind of have a day, um, with family in a way, but it's purposefully to do a little bit of reflecting. And we do every year. We do some form of um, just kind of reflecting on gratitude for, for the, the, the place we live place, meaning not just geographic, but there's, there's, there's much to be grateful for. My parents grew up in the Midwest and I grew up in Idaho 
it's also a for small rural communities it's also a whole community experience it's the yes. it's the chicken and and gathering in the park and and it's a thing that brings you together as a complete community i don't i, I have a hard time struggling with those aspects of the celebration yeah sure i think i have memories of it as a kid um singing all the patriotic songs at church i have memories of kids uh i remember that who too served dressing yeah. up in their um Military, military uh, gear, and marching the flag in during the service, mm-hmm. and so part of this maybe just comes out of that. That that boy, I think that's a blending of the whole thing in some really dangerous ways mm-hmm. that has not benefited the church, and has merged the idea of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of America uh, in ways that have not served us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the flip side of this, though, is is you know, like right from Jeremiah that we're to plant gardens and build vineyards and pray for the prosperity of Babylon. So there is a sense in which we should um, want to lean into the place we inhabit well and care for it. So, so I, I, I guess the question really is to try and create a bit of a nuance that I don't know that I'm articulating well on a podcast. <laughs> well, I think you are though, because as you as you kind of painting that picture of those church services. I remember those from my childhood too. I haven't seen, we don't, we don't do that. I haven't done that for, I haven't been, (laughs) I, I, well, but I don't mean, I don't mean just we here. I, I, I haven't seen it done to that degree for a couple decades, at least where, where I've been. So maybe that's just, I I think it maybe still happens, but that does feel the same thing to me that does feel like an elevation of patriotism that could be uh, compromising and and dangerous and and i'm i'm a pastor who did do it i would not do it in the current context i don't know that i regret doing it when i did Mm -hmm. um but i think i'll tell you what i think has changed first of all here's the reason why I, i think it's foolish i i think there's a solid theological argument that says i'm only a citizen of the kingdom. I'm not a citizen of the United States of America, but I think that's a foolish argument. It may be the ultimately the true argument, but but I think it's a foolish argument in an incarnational sense. The truth is, love of community, love of nation, uh, is is human. It's incarnational. It is one of the affections that hold us and bind us together. So in that sense. I think it is pure and good and healthy, and I just, I just again, it's, I, I refuse not to have that as part of my skin. Having said that, I think what's changed is America that makes it dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, here's, and here's what, you've got, I'm taking you all the way back to your exilic thing. America was the nation in exile, but we lived it poorly, and we obliterated um, the rights and the territory and the persons of Native Americans, and we uh, obliterated it in the four-fifths personage that we gave to slaves instead of treating as whole persons, etc. In all of that, we obliterated it. Nevertheless, America was formed as a, as a country that was unique. It was formed on an ideal that we are all created equal, and it was a haven for uh, those fleeing different kinds of persecution to come to. It was a nation in exile through most of its history. And because it was unique, and to be an American was not to be of one ancestry, it was to, to identify with that ideal. Everyone is included on God's green earth. Everyone has value. So 
I think once we became the powerful nation, the, the, the nation which is the policeman of the whole world, etc., that morphed for us, and we look a whole lot more like Babylon than we used to. And that's where I think you get from yeah. the religious right, I think you get from the current president, the kind of celebration that in another time was totally appropriate now isn't. Because I, I, I think you, that's perfect. Because yes. what you said is like it began... It, well, so Israel began in exile too, and they, like us, may, and well, I've got to be careful, so follow me here. Israel also began with an idea to be a blessing to the whole world, but mm-hmm. if you follow the story of the Old Testament, that idea quickly morphed into, let's be a blessing to Israel, and the idea was gone. So, so things can change, but I want to quickly go back, because we're running out of time. Um, you talked about citizen uh, where we can be both citizens of America and the kingdom. So maybe the issue isn't so much citizenship as allegiance. Mm-hmm. Can we give our allegiance to both the kingdom of God and our allegiance to the kingdom of America, at least in an ultimate sense? And I would argue the answer is no. It's why for me, pledging my allegiance to a flag is, is wildly problematic. I can't pledge my allegiance to a flag if I pledge my allegiance to King Jesus. King Jesus has to ultimately... Um, take that throne, quote unquote. And the pushback, and boy, I'm glad you expressed it that way, Sean, because that is where a whole set of modern and young theologians are, and I'm not so certain, big picture, you're not right. Having said that, um, I can, because when I'm pledging, when I'm making, well, I've come to a conclusion that I may have to bow down on the bended knee on occasion, because, depending on the context, because sometimes I just need to pray for my nation. Having said that, I can certainly pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States because I'm pledging allegiance to the republic, to an ideal. A republic by nature is exilic. A republic by nature is built around tensions that create the individual and empowers minorities, etc. That's the whole concept. But is there a difference between pledging your allegiance to an idea? Like, I am giving myself to this idea which is just and good and loving versus an entity that really does demand more than just a commitment to an ideal, but a commitment to its very being as the end-all, be-all? The answer is the right question, and my answer is there is no tension there in the nation I grew up in. The nation I grew up in, when I pledge, I'm pledging my allegiance to the flag and to the nation for which that flag stands, and I've already defined the flag as the ideal in the first part of it. So... They're one and the same. The problem is America first runs counter to both an exilic nation that is for the weak, for those who are, do not have a safe space. America first literally means I'll protect our workers and make sure that South American workers or African workers, whatever has to happen to them, they have to come third, fourth, fifth, sixth. They have to be impoverished so that I can be wealthy. And I don't think that I can do as a Christian. So it's the America first I will not pledge myself to, but to pledge myself to the ideal of what America is, because we are a nation built on that ideal, that's what makes us who we are, I have no problem. It's like pledging allegiance, which means, if you take the word allegiance, I just had to Google this. <laughs> like allegiance, what is allegiance? It's, it's, it's uh, giving your loyalty or your commitment to, which we do anyway because we live here. So it's, it's, for me, it's stating that I'm going to keep, my allegiance is here, I'm going to keep working uh, to wrong the rights, to, uh, to bring into 
reality in whatever ways my world allows the ideal that the flag stands for, it, it doesn't mean that I'm pledging allegiance to all the wrongs of who we are. It means I'm an American Has anybody- and I'm going to keep keep adding my voice to what this yeah. flag is supposed to stand for. I think the, the question, and I'll take the last word because we're so far over time, we got one more segment, if at all possible. Um, I think the fundamental issue, whether you, whether like you, you can or you can pledge allegiance to the flag or whether you're like me and, and you, you cannot find you can, I think the fundamental question is, are you going to be an American who happens to be a Christian or are you going to be a Christian who happens to live in America? And I think that question needs to be answered on this issue. With one nuance, I would change the phrase who happens to be an American, not who happens to live in America. There's a distinction there. Live in America. <laughs> and are they mutually exclusive? I, I, not, I, don't, I don't think America and oh. the kingdom oh. are in its, in, if we are faithful to what we are supposed to be. I th- yeah, and in the sense, and this is, uh, we're going into the next segment, but in the sense that as there's a there's as a human being the world is organized into nations um so i can snipe from the outside and say i don't like where i live i'm not saying that's what you're doing but i'm saying we can just said that's what i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) i don't like where i live i'm not going to pledge allegiance here or i can say i can i can say this is who i am this is where i live i am an american for for good bad and ugly and I'm going to work for change from within rather than snipe from the outside because this is this is my reality. Otherwise, I'm going to move to Canada. Or I, else. I, you, you began that by asking the question: Are they mutually exclusive? And uh, going into our next segment, which is a reflection on your sermon, uh, which comes out of Acts two, the reversal of Pentecost. I would think Luke would answer that by saying, "I think they are mutually exclusive because when the Holy Spirit comes." It brings unity in the midst of our diversity. But what defines us then is not um, empire-building nation-states. What defines us is a people who, yes, we're diverse, but we are um, one as a people of the whole earth. Absolutely. I would say, too, in terms of what defines us, but in terms of how we live, move, and where we spend time, what we can give commitments to, We're we're human, so we're going to have a context. And I think the comparison between Luke's context and ours is is overstated significantly. Having said that, we are seeing it would would be very easy for America to become Babylon. I don't think America today is, but I think we are moving in a way that could well become that. So I think the tension's there. I think the question's right. Um, But the Republic... The, the, the early Roman city republic was a great state. It was probably the city-state. It was probably the greatest in the world at the time. And what changed is when it became an empire and the Senate lost its authority and the tension of a divided government was gone. All right, that's segment number two. Let's uh, come back real quick. All right, last segment. 
Marvelous Miss Laura, you preached a sermon last week coming out of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, and you have some questions that was posed in that sermon that we want to ask and grill. Why? The first question, I, I, was, I was cleaning the church, getting ready for Sunday, and I heard this, and it made me stop and think, and I sat down on one of those green chairs there, and I'm like, I don't know how to answer that, which as a pastor, I, that's bad. Uh, <laughs> why did God create? And you, you talked about in your sermon, joy, love, community, but let me pose the question to us all on a Monday mailbag, Monday mailbag, mailbag Monday, mailbag whatever it is. Monday. Why did God create? Because joy demands companionship. Was that what I said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of his, said. out of his fullness, out of out of God's, um, out of who God is, which is community with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where I landed. Yeah, God created uh, so there'd be more of a diverse, enriched environment. I think God needed it. I think God wanted it. I think God is capable of not creating it. You think, what was that last sentence? I don't think God was capable of not, not creating. creating. So God is creative in God's God very is, being. Yes. Love is creative in love's very being. And so, so the natural outpoint is creation, which for a future mailbag probably demands questions about then culpability for sin and all that, but we don't have time for that. Wait, no. The next question is, and this is probably the last question because we're running out of time. Uh, you talked about the Acts 2 church, which... Uh, gave themselves to the temple courts and the reading of scriptures and the breaking of bread and the fellowship and they had everything in common they sold all their possessions and gave to anyone as they had need and you asked the question is that descriptive or is that prescriptive and then you went on to ask the question how reflective of this um, reality is the church today and then even you made it more personal how reflective are each of us as individuals of this reality so so just um, maybe quickly uh, is that picture descriptive or is it prescriptive and I think you said yes and so maybe you might even start by talking about your guests there and and how are we how do we in, in the modern church do at, at inhabiting this reality if indeed it is prescriptive I think it's yeah, and, and after that sermon, I don't know if this happens to you, it always happens to me. It's like, oh, I wish I would have developed that piece a little bit more. I wish I would have said that a little bit better. But in the sense that it's prescriptive, I think um, you, I think using the word template, um, a template doesn't have all the yeah. colors and all the details put in. It's kind of an outline of the shape of something. I think it's prescriptive in that sense. I don't know... Um, I wouldn't say that the picture for us in those verses is prescriptive in the sense that that's exactly what it would look like, but the the priorities laid out there, the unity and the sense of others above self and the sense of sharing and um, explosive generosity and taking care of uh, those that have not at at personal sacrifice that is our template you know meeting together in homes pretty good template um Mm -hmm. although not during covid um (laughs) and those you know i i think it i think he told a descriptive story in order to give us uh, a, a really vivid picture of faith community as god intended
Yeah, I think it's important to to say what you just said at the end. Uh, all of it's important, but but we have to recognize that all of Scripture is descriptive first. Yeah, it's, it's a story. The memory of the They're church. telling. It's a story, and uh, so it's a narrative. And so I think it becomes uh, incumbent upon us to pay attention to those rhythms, to pay attention to the fact because it was a healthy. The first picture is very healthy. It's not later, but even that becomes prescriptive in helping us deal with diversity and challenges. But it, it is a picture that helps us see who we ought to be in principle. Now, where I don't think we should. We, you know, I grew up with the phrase that the Nazarene Church is going to be like the original church. The we early get rid of church. All the baggage. And we go want back to be the, to the original yes. plan. <laughs> yes. I don't think that's helpful. Oh my goodness! What a what a what a thing to have to live with. I remember. And, that and I think as it's well. arrogant. But yes. and, and I don't think it's helpful at all. Well, and it's it's impossible. We yeah. can't in terms of in terms of an absolute duplicate. You know. A template, a template is not a duplicate. So in terms of absolutely duplicating the subtle nuances of exactly what they did, it's, it's impossible. It's not our culture. It's not what, you know. But. You said it well. The, the idea that we should be paying attention to the tradition and teachings of the church, to the narrative of the word, to fellowship together, to the Holy Communion inside that fellowship, and to uh, incredible generosity. Beyond that, I don't care if we organize ourselves yeah, like they it's or gonna, anything else. It's going to take on, you know, the, the <clears throat> it's going to take on the shape of our culture and how we shape it. So and what, it should. And yes. so what happens if churches in reflecting on those things, again, not that, within the lens of it, it's a template so that it has to fit within our own context. What happens when, if we reflect on that, our reflection is, oh, oh, we're not... It's not very much of a template for how we do church. Mm-hmm. We're not. Uh, well, increasingly, we, we don't have as many folks that are giving themselves to uh, the apostles' teaching. Uh, people aren't really getting in each other's homes, and it's not just COVID-related. Um, generosity is not the normative practice of the church. Like, what, what happens if... When we look at the model of church, we, we walk away saying, there's some things we're doing okay, but largely this, this template has been filed away in a cabinet that has been donated to a goodwill, and it no longer serves us. It's sitting on the curb. <clears throat> I think picture. then <clears throat> we're faced with the question that, <clears throat> that, we, um, that we are faced with a lot, and that is how, how does the church embrace the need to change is it education is it um that we just create dialogue about these things intentionally is it is it prayer is it the only the holy spirit that changes things and it's probably yes to all we i mean the first the first step would be to you know, for us to recognize or to do some some sort of um, you know to be in dialogue to the point that that we that we got to that point to say, wow. Well, this is we a, don't we don't look like that. What needs to change? This is a conversation that will continue. By the way, don't you just love that you can preach a sermon and eight days later people are still having conversation that comes out of the sermon you preach? That's probably never happened at this church before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the podcast. It's the podcast. But but no, no, no. This is a conversation we'll continue. In fact, I this is 
this is a part of the conversation to circle this back to the very thing we started with at the beginning of the podcast that comes out of the book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, that we as a staff will be reading together. Uh, I believe it arrives this Friday, the book. Um, but it really is a question of who, who are we and how are we taking this template <coughs> that served so well this early emerging faith community and, and ultimately led to them transforming the empire. Um, how does this template uh, begin to serve us uh, in in 2020, um, not for the sake of us being the end-all, be-all, but for the sake of us entering more fully into the kingdom of God. That's it. Uh, what's, what does the rest of your Monday hold? Work, phone calls, class Back. tonight. Construction. Back to construction. Back to construction. I'm going to go on a walk and get an oat milk latte. Ooh, where are you going for your oat milk uh, latte? You know, probably either Olympia or Sound and Fog or... I might just get crazy and try another place. I don't know. Huh? And then hopefully we'll finish Hamilton at some point. I'm going to have devotions at some point. Well, that sounds super spiritual. It is, and I need it, though. It sounds because it's because I'm not spiritual. That's why, but I'm going to. Hopefully devotions will remind you that your allegiance needs to be to Jesus. <laughs> 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 Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, until next time. Bye, Which is y'all. why, of course, I will pray for the country. <laughs> <laughs> Grace and peace. Bless you, guys.